The captain's cabin on board the Lion was small even for an old 64-gun ship, now rated too weak to stand in the line of battle. As he looked round, Ramage reckoned that at most it could comfortably seat a dozen officers for a convivial evening and still leave room for an agile steward to haul on a corkscrew and keep everyone's glass topped up. When, in their wisdom, the Lord's Commissioners of the Admiralty suddenly decided that the Lion should carry Rear Admiral Goddard across the Atlantic to take up his new appointment in Jamaica, and escort a convoy at the same time, they did not give a thought to the fact that her captain and officers would have to move over like passengers in a crowded coach to make room for the Admiral and his staff. They certainly never visualized the ship lying at anchor under a scorching tropical sun in Carlisle Bay, Barbados, the cabin packed with forty-nine masters of merchantmen, the captains of six ships of war, and the admiral. Her own commanding officer presiding over them looked like one of Mr. Wesley's followers preaching in the crowded parlor of a fisherman's cottage. In about a week's time, Ramage thought sourly, It'll dawn on Captain Croucher that he could have held this convoy conference up on deck under the big awning, or in any one of a dozen buildings on shore in Bridgetown. But among his other shortcomings, Captain Aloysius Croucher lacked imagination, and was so thin there was probably not enough meat on him to notice any difference between tropical heat and arctic cold. Ramage guessed that Captain Croucher's mind was fully occupied with two considerations. Relief at having brought the convoy safely across the Atlantic to Barbados, and the need to make sure that the masters of the merchant ships understood that here fresh frigates took over as escorts for the last leg of the voyage, westward, across the Caribbean, to Kingston, Jamaica. For a variety of reasons, the next and shortest section of the voyage was by far the most dangerous— It was obvious to Ramage that, unlike Captain Croucher, the masters of the merchantmen had only one idea in their minds. To stop him talking, so they could get out of this furnace-like cabin as quickly as possible and cool off on deck, where a brisk trade-wind breeze was blowing. The canvas covering the planking underfoot was painted chessboard fashion in black and white squares, and the masters slumped in canvas-backed chairs from the officers' cabins or hunched uncomfortably on narrow forms brought up from the mess deck, reminded Ramage of a jumbled set of pawns. The simile amused him because Captain Croucher made a perfect bishop. Croucher tugged at the lapels of his coat in an attempt to make the shoulders sit squarely. Although the captain's tailor had obviously worked hard, all his artful skill with the scissors and the thread could not disguise the fact that nature had sold Croucher short. A bonus of half a hundredweight of flesh would not have stopped him from looking like a skeleton wrapped in parchment. No wonder the seamen, with their unerring instinct for the apt and ambiguous nickname, called him The Rake. He was every man's idea of the prosecutor at an Inquisition trial. He had the features of a fanatic, and one could imagine him fervently condemning a heretic to hellfire and damnation amidst a welter of prayers and exhortations. Or perhaps he could even be the victim. A few hours' torture on the rack might leave a man as long and thin. The bone of Croucher's brow protruded so much that the deep-set grey eyes looked like a lizard glaring up from under a ledge of rock. 
His hands and wrists were so skinny they would pass muster for lizard's claws. Was he married? What sort of woman could love a man like this? Even the thought was repellent. If Croucher was the bishop on this bizarre chessboard, then Jebediah Arbuthnot Goddard, rear admiral of the white, was the knight, Ramage mused. Being prevented by the rules from going in a straight line would not worry him. Goddard always chose the devious route instinctively, and would find the knight's dogleg move, two forward and one sideways, no hindrance. Crouch's voice was as monotonous and unavoidable as the drip from a leaking deck in the seaway, but even more depressing. He was giving his instructions to the masters like a weary and disillusioned parson delivering a sermon written by his wife and castigating something he secretly liked.